Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Entrepreneurship in Development Markets. I am here with my always wonderful co-host, Lincoln. You're too generous. <laughs> I try. I try. I try to be. Uh, I enjoy recording these episodes with you. So um, it's good fun. <laughs> oh yeah, but. Um, before we get into our topic for uh, this episode of language and language barriers and how it can impact um, your working relationship, there is a lot of things to cover in, in terms of current events that are happening in Africa right now. And as our resident uh, expert in the field, <laughs> you know, I think it'll be just great for us to just to do a quick recap of what's happening in Africa this week and what does that mean in terms of business activity as well yeah the bad news in Africa this week is from North Africa right it's mostly north of the Sahara mm -hmm. um, uh, back uh, democracy is on its back foot um, not a lot of good news from uh, Tunisia or the rest of the Maghreb and certainly bad news in Sudan. I think Sudan wins the, the award this week. How did it start a civil war in a weekend? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it went, uh, blew it up pretty fast. Uh, there's probably more to that story than is getting published about uh, the reasons for that. But yeah, Sudan was just, looked, looked so encouraging when the coup was, uh, was stopped and there was a bit of outbreak of what looked like democracy. Now we're going backwards. So uh, threat of contaminating the neighborhood with that and other, all of the neighbors getting involved. Uh, I read that every neighbor has uh, one, one faction on one side and one faction on the other side. So it'll be, uh, it, it could be a long, sad, drawn out problem. So tell us a little bit about what's um, actually happening in Sudan. I'm not, I'm not too aware of it. I've just heard a little bit of uh, things here and there, but what's the core um, yeah. challenge that's well, happening? You and I are in a poor position to say what's actually happening right? <laughs> yeah. on the other side of the world today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when did that ever stop us? <laughs> um, as I understand it, uh, there's a power struggle between the two military resources. The, uh, uh, the uh, special force that has been developed as a uh, supporter of the former president and then uh, the actual standard traditional military and um, the rapid reaction force has um, support from some of our friends uh, in the north and, and so there are a lot of there's a lot of incentives to uh, keep things stirred up and to make sure that the a traditional military does not end up in charge. I think we've got a situation with two um, aggressive uh, war, uh, should we call them warlords yet? Uh, at least one of them is a general. Uh, two guys who want to be king and and really we don't want any king. It would be great if <laughs> we get back to some sort of a democracy where there was a rotation of power and participation from the electorate. But, um, that's uh, basically what's happening now. As we say in West Africa, when the elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. Mm. 
So with this news that happened over the weekend, how um, you mentioned that this would impact the neighboring, obviously the neighboring countries around Sudan. Um, but how is this also impacting business activity in the region from your uh, friends that are affected by by this? Uh, yeah, we haven't seen any impact yet. Of course, we we didn't have any direct business in Sudan. If we did, that would be a challenge. Um, I think one of the main things that's going to happen out of this is a refugee flow. People are already starting to leave. So um, it's not like we need more refugees, but they'll certainly going to create some. And I don't blame them. You know, if you had your, your family in Khartoum this week, you'd probably want to get out. So um, it'll just be more displaced people. Mm. And then um, all of the other things that happen when uh, when there's a war on, and people start choosing sides and uh, lots of, uh, I, I think it's probably impossible to list all of the hidden um, things that happen because of conflict. It's just a long list of bad things. It's no, no upside, <laughs> no upside. No, there, I, I don't, yeah, like you said, there's there's no upside to this whatsoever. And the news out of Africa this week hasn't um, been great. Um, and I, I hope things resolve uh, quickly and the situation on the grounds is, um, is stabilized. But, sure. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, we, we we promised that we'd talk about languages and language barriers, which is a little more cheerful subject. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm remembering uh, my last visit in South Sudan. I came away from that, uh, with, and that was been, it's been a couple of years, but I came away from that thinking a lot about languages and the role of languages in causing frustration. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was frustrated in South Sudan because it's uh, allegedly English is spoken. And there's, you know, obviously my interlocutors were speaking English and, and we were doing training in English and, and people were struggling along with the, trying to, to follow the English and communicate with each other in English. But then they also have Arabic, but not classical Arabic, or they've got their own dialect of Arabic, Juba Arabic. So, and with a totally different alphabet. And then they've got their native languages, which, you know, the maternal tongue. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, just trying to communicate in English, my head hurt. I can imagine them trying to <laughs> talk to each other in whatever colonial language we're going to use today. Is it going to be Arabic or is it going to be English? And then they think, you know, the, the language I can really express myself in is my tribal language. But you don't understand that because you're from the other tribe. <laughs> Maybe language has a lot to do with the way, you know, the ethnic conflict. People get frustrated. And besides that, it's hot mm -hmm. <laughs> and dirty. Yeah. 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 Let's dive a little bit deeper uh, into into that. Um, you mentioned uh, the colonial language, and um, and then we have you have the native uh, language as well. And then yeah, like how does that play in terms of like uh, navigating and doing business? Uh, yeah, sure. You tell us. So let's let's start with you. You're from Nigeria originally. Yeah. What's your what's your maternal tongue? 
What what so, what do you what did your parents speak at home? My maternal tongue is called Bokana, and mm-hmm. I think like early on, I can I can I I definitely understand the challenge of switching back and forth uh, between languages. Um, now I primarily speak English at this point, probably ninety nine percent of the time, um, but. When I was younger and I was in I was in school, and I would I would go home I would go home and speak in my native language and it'd just be mentally exhausting uh, mm-hmm. to just context switch and then sometimes when I would, when I would be speaking English, I would confuse myself because I'm trying like I would then try to speak my native language at the same time. And I just be like, man, this is sure. it would be so much easier if you just understood what what, I, uh, um, what I'm trying to say. And I think I also experienced that uh, when talking uh, when talking to my team in um, Serbia as well, and also my team right now that's in um, Kenya as well. I had the same challenge, so we just uh, brought on on um, this new team member and. Usually, I kind of know how like the like the timeline looks like. So we brought on this new engineer. He's um, he's doing great uh, for us, and but he hasn't been in a work environment where he's like had to speak English uh, the whole entire time. So you can kind of tell on like the okay. Zoom calls. <laughs> uh, there's like he's. He's slower to say things. Um, when he does say things, sometimes he may like doubt himself. He's like, I don't know if I'm yeah. saying this. I'm, I don't know if I'm saying this correctly or I'm saying it the right way. And one thing that I've like had to learn is, you know, I have to be like patient on these calls because obviously meetings can be a huge time suck if not um, fully planned out right. But Sure. You want him to. Uh, you want to create an environment that's uh, that where he's comfortable enough to practice and actively practice. Because how else is he going to get better? Uh, get better at being able to present and share his ideas in the way that you want him to be able to share his ideas. So, it's. I've had a lot of experiences like that where, like, the timeline usually is like the first three to four months of working with a team, new team member that hasn't. Uh, there hasn't been an environment where he's fully immersed in English all the time well, professionally. There's a, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a struggle to communicate and everything takes longer and it feels, uh, sometimes can feel drawn out. But after a while, you mm-hmm. see like an accelerated, um, just because they, almost everyone in Africa speaks multiple languages. You see like an accelerated um, um, learning curve that just takes place after like the three to four months and it's just amazing to like watch. Yeah, it's awesome to see how quickly the uh, humans, some humans like Africans can adapt so quickly <laughs> to, to languages. Yeah. Uh, so do you find yourself speaking in uh, a more simple and uh, clearer English so that he can understand you and so that your team can understand you? Do you have like a square African English that you can, can be understood worldwide. So what we would speak to each other colloquially. Yeah. This is one thing that I always used to catch myself doing where I would spend a lot more time. Uh, I would slow down and 
I would talk slower than I usually talk normally. Um, I would not use certain words because I'm like, if I use that word, it's going to just be out of context for someone that's not <laughs> a native. Just like, you know, if I was learning uh, Swahili or, or Spanish for the first time, right? <laughs> and someone sure. then just started talking to me, it, it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't make, it wouldn't make sense to me. But uh, and so I would slow down and just talk a little bit slower and also make sure to use words that are, I would consider it universal. Mm -hmm. uh, very easy to understand. There's not a lot of paths that that uh, word can take uh, besides it's just, uh, this is what it means. But I've also mm -hmm. gotten to the point where I think uh, from just my experience where I've now just spent more time just being like, you know what, I am not going to, I am not going to, uh, what can I, what, how can I say this? I'm not going to narrow down my vocabulary too much because it's also not, it's not, it's not helpful to them and it's not really helping me communicate what I want. It's okay if they don't understand it. If they don't understand what I'm saying, it's better that they, um, they get into, they get comfortable asking. So there's, it's more natural. Sure. My personality also comes out. And they get to know me mm -hmm. through how I, I speak and communicate as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, a good thought. Uh, yeah. you, you, uh, if, if language and vocabulary is an indication of intelligence or the quality of the message that we're trying to, to pass, then you, you can't, you can't economize too much, mm -hmm. but I think your point is good too, about trying to avoid uh, jargon or idiomatic mm -hmm. expressions or sort of things that we say i've brought lots of uh, americans to africa to train and they just cringe when they still they say so what you're going to want to do here on this one thing is that <laughs> you, you pretty much always want to like, okay you you feel like you're communicating and you're saying it louder so that they you think they can hear you but they didn't understand a word you just said mm -hmm. <laughs> start over and so then we come up with other ways of communicating right so sometimes um you can triangulate a little bit. Uh, you can compare something to something else. And if you have a point that you understand each other on, then you can draw that point out to show them that this is like this, uh, parables, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, frequently, uh, I try to do cross-examination. Like, I think I explained this to you. So what do you understand? So what if this happened? So what is, okay, let's take that away. What does that mean? and just kind of test people's understanding to see if they're really understanding you. And then when I do training, I've got to have at least a whiteboard, a chalkboard, a, I don't care, something that I can draw pictures on and write numbers on. Um, I learned when I was, especially in Asian languages, if I can make numbers, we can talk with numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you can both go away securely thinking that you have communicated with the other and neither one of you understood what the other said. So it's always good to confirm the amount of uh, understanding and communication that actually passed. And that takes time too, right? That's extra work. Yes. Go, go back and confirm all the time. Yes. It definitely, it definitely stretches out, elongates the conversation. Um, mm -hmm. But it's very, just like you said, I've also learned the same thing. It's very important to go back and confirm with the listener as to how he he or she interpreted what you just said. Um, mm -hmm. Because 
what you what you think you said versus what the other person heard sometimes you'd be like man i'm so glad that that i asked like hey what do you what do you think i said and sometimes um the one thing that you have to be careful about is you have to create a safe environment for people to be able to ask you questions or for them to have you clarify because the way you have to look at it is and the way i look at it now is shoot i in terms of language i i am the dumb one in this convert in this conversation because at this point 90 like I only I only speak English at this point. Like I know my native language, I understand it well, but I wouldn't even say I'm even fluent in it anymore. Mm-hmm. And right. And so I cannot like I need to have a lot of like a lot of patience because I am the one that's not communicating as effectively <laughs> as I should, but I'm also at the same time trying <laughs> to do uh, I'm also trying to do business in a place where the uh, the native language is not English. Right. <laughs> so I can and, have- and they feel some sort of guilt of that, you know, we don't we don't recognize it, but they feel some guilt for not being perfect in English because English is the world language. And yeah, like they knew they should have studied harder in school or whatever, you yeah. know, regardless of how good they really are. And they'll still feel some guilt about it. So, you, yeah, that's a good point. Like, make sure that people feel comfortable asking you and clarifying. It's your, you're not going to be angry or upset if they don't understand. Mm-hmm. So there's this marvelous thing called Google Translate that before Google Translate was created, back in the old days, I went to China one time and we visit, visited a factory outside of Shanghai and they, uh, I, the, my fellow at the factory and I spoke English. So he put me in this car that was supposed to deliver me to the DHL headquarters in Shanghai. I had this business to do with them. And um, so the driver pulls up in front of the gate and me and the driver have exactly zero in language in common. <laughs> I mean, I know Ni Hao, he, he probably doesn't know a word of English. And so he pulls up in front and all of the guards at the front gate also have no way to communicate with me. So he's trying to tell them that, you know, he brought this guy, this American guy, and he's supposed to go in and see somebody. And they're like, who are you supposed to see? He's like, I don't know. I don't know. He's, I'm guessing this is what the conversation is. I don't know who he's supposed to see. So he says, you know, they're waving us away. Finally, I just got frustrated. I got out. I took, I opened the trunk. I took my luggage out of the trunk and I set it in the middle of the gate. <laughs> no trucks could go in or go out. And I just stood there with my arms folded. <laughs> Pretty soon they fetched somebody from way back in the bowels of DHL that spoke English and he came out and said, oh, okay, yeah, you're that guy. All right, let him in. <laughs> nowadays, you would just type it into Google Translate and we'd all get along fine, right? No. <laughs> I think um, over reliance on Google Translate is uh, because Google Translate, Google Translate is very helpful, but there tends like you shared a story with me um, like two weeks ago or three weeks ago where you were in the process of doing a deal and the person on the other side was putting things into Google Translate. Um, what was it? Uh, and yeah, this I think this was in Saudi Arabia, and yeah, Saudi, he said, yeah. The, the conversation was going kind of weird, and finally he told me he was using Google Translate. Like, oh, okay, now I understand. Yeah. And then I said, you know, this the six words of Arabic that I knew, and, and we were brothers for life. 
Yeah, so Google Translate is very helpful, but it cannot be trusted to communicate to uh, fully uh, deliver your message across um, for both parties. Yeah. And you will find out that a lot of the times the person on the other end is also utilizing a translation app um, to communicate with mm-hmm. you and looking up things. And so you have to be aware of that, even in email communication, uh, WhatsApp messages as well, that, yeah, this person might be writing things back to me in English, but they might be translating everything from their native language into uh, into English. And there's a lot of context and a lot of things that might be missing in translation. Sure. And then a lot of it can't be written. Yeah. So let's say you're going to send a note to your grandmother in your native language. Can you write it? No, <laughs> I can't write it. Right. So that's one of the marvelous things about voice messages. Like you see WhatsApp used a lot for this in this way. Uh-huh. I've sat on planes next to guys who are probably not literate who are making communicating back and forth by little voice snippets on WhatsApp. Uh-huh. Either they weren't literate or if they were literate, they're probably literate in the colonial language and their local language that they're using is not one that you can write. So uh-huh. the world's become much easier for them as now that they can send voice messages back and forth. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that's one thing you start to, you see a lot more of is, especially as you uh, travel is the, there's an uptick in voice memos or these little Mm -hmm. voice messages. Um, That's one thing I was really surprised about and traveling outside the U.S. because in the U.S. for the most part, I don't think many people send voice messages besides the only thing that I get in terms of voice messages is my mom sending me some new prayer. <laughs> right. Uh, maybe once in a while, a friend will send me that. But on my WhatsApp, there is so much, like, I have so many different, like, voice memos that are consistently being sent. Yeah. Yeah, it's really helpful. And, you know, we are blessed because we have known English since we were little kids and it's easy for us and, and we're not struggling to try and do that because, because you know, uh, without being a chauvinist, you think you can say English is the world language. It's the, 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 the lingua franca of the world to the, to the greatest degree. Um, and I look at countries where they have intentionally excluded English, like Tanzania had a policy back in the day that uh, hopefully they're not following as closely, but that, you know, they were to make Tanzania authentic. They were only going to teach and speak Swahili. Well, that's great for national pride. But when you go to Tanzania and you talk to Tanzanians, you can see the difference that that made. Mm-hmm. Um, and think about if you could only, if you could only read Swahili, now the things that you have access to are only things that have been translated into Swahili. And I can tell you, it's a small part of the world's library. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the daily media that you have is has to be printed in Tanzania. And that's what you get to read. You're not going to read The Economist. Uh, you're not going to read what, you know, the country next door is doing unless it's reported to you through the Tanzan, through, you know, Swahili media. So I feel for people who have those kind of situations where a national language is um, the only one that's taught. <laughs> the other thing I've noticed is that we get into silos uh, based on our language group. Um, 
I've noticed this particularly with the French, that uh, French fr Francophone countries have a certain set of beliefs about the world and about people that comes to them because they're French speaking. Mm -hmm. And if they read Al Jazeera and um, the New York Times and El País, maybe they wouldn't have that same worldview. But if they're only speaking French and they're only consuming outside media in the French language, that's the silo that they're in. And I'm sure I'm in a silo to some degree too, because you know I'm not reading the Arabic press and I'm not reading the Chinese press in the original language. I had a, some good customers in Angola and spent some time there and over the years. And one time, one of my friends in Angola said, you know, I think maybe we've been brainwashed by the Portuguese because we're, we were told that the Portuguese products are the best products in the whole world. Is that true? <laughs> I said, well, they do some things very well, but maybe not every product is the best product just because it's Portuguese. <laughs> I know, I know they do wine corks pretty well. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> National pride. <laughs> National pride. Um, that, so, make, go ahead. It, no, go ahead. Yeah, you make a good point. Um, I think naturally, uh, when you talk, when you talk about like being excluded from conversations that that'll happen to you a lot as an English speaking, um, mm -hmm. person going into these developing, uh, countries or just anywhere in general, um, you'll notice that a lot of the more meaningful conversations that are very personal, you're not going to be part of it, you know, um, and right. you're going to have to be, you're going to have to just learn how to just honestly just sit in the discomfort and embrace the discomfort of what's going on around me. <laughs> what are people talking about? Are they talking about me? You know, like, or is it, you know, or is it, are they just talking about something else? And I think, that just comes with the territory of if you don't learn or you're not fully immersed in the culture and the, um, the native tongue, you're just, you're just going to have those moments and it's okay. Um, mm -hmm. That's what just, just comes with wave. it. Just, just smile and wave and learn, learn how to sit in silence among people that are conversating around you. And remember how hard it is to include somebody who has a, doesn't have any language that you know, what, what how frustrating it would be for them to stop and translate everything that was being said back and forth mm -hmm. so you know have some have some pity on them as well no i no definitely i think go i got it go ahead i gotta tell you one funny thing that happened <laughs> so we live in southeast arizona right and it's it's a rural area <laughs> and uh, <laughs> We, my colleagues are from Africa, a lot of them are both from all over the world, but I have a dear colleague who is from, from East Africa and he's uh, French speaking, he's from Burundi and he learned English when he came to the States and he's done a marvelous job. His English is better than mine. But uh, when he, when he would first got here, the lady from the trash company, he called the lady from the trash company to set up a trash service and uh, something wasn't finished. And so she had to call back. And she called back and she had forgotten his name. And I knew who it was that she was looking for, but I thought I would tease her a little bit. And I said, I don't know, do you remember whose name, who, who you were talking to? Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, he had an accent. <laughs> and I said, he had an accent. 
okay, like an Eastern Arizona accent or like a New York accent or like what, what like your accent or my accent? Whose accent? <laughs> and I just thought that illustrates that we think everybody else has an accent uh, if they don't talk like we do, right? Yeah. Yeah, you don't, you don't realize um, or you fail sometimes to realize that you have an accent, an American accent, and until, until someone actually, I think I really, it, it really stuck to me after someone actually, and I was like, Hey, how do you think I like, I talk, like, tell me, <laughs> you know, and they impersonated me and I'm like, huh, interesting. <laughs> I sound silly. <laughs> I sound silly to them sometimes when I'm talking. Um, but one sure. thing that you did bring up that was really that was a really a great point that I want to highlight is um, sometimes early on in just trying to speak to people, a lot of the times people would you know they would they would speak to me in English and I would just be like, well, that's that kind of sounds weird. That kind of sounds weird. But then I would look back on it and I'll be like, you know, that's actually the correct way to speak English to the T, I just don't right, do that's it. what they learned. <laughs> yeah, that's what they learned. <laughs> sure. It just sounds weird because I just don't do it, but that's the that's the correct way. And there actually there is no correction for me to make for me to make besides I am just speaking I'm just speaking it to the point where I'm I'm ignoring a lot of the rules of how to speak the language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that anytime I'm inflicting my Spanish or French or now my insipid Arabic on people, I'm just so grateful for anybody who's willing to try to speak to me in English. <laughs> and no matter how bad it is, I had a driver in Lebanon one time and he knew one phrase and he just repeated that. No matter what you said, he repeated that over and over and over again. I was like, well, that's about how I would sound. You know, I know one thing. I just, uh, that's my one trick pony, but. Um, languages can be barriers, but they're also opportunities to show uh, concern and appreciation for others and to show a little bit of humility and to have a good time to joke around a lot. Um, so, uh, use it, use what might be a barrier as a transition or a bridge. <laughs> These Americans that I was talking about that would come and do training for us and who are almost unintelligible to our local Africans. At the end of the training, we would hand out certificates for all of the participants, and especially in Nigeria, especially if they're Igbo names or uh, maybe even Yoruba names, we would make those Americans read out the certificates. <laughs> and that was the best part of the training. Everybody was rolling in the aisles with the pronunciation that these guys came up with. <laughs> so there's opportunities. It's, it's, it can be a barrier, but it can also be a path to uh, more connectivity. Yeah, and I think it's a path to more connectivity when you put an effort in to try to learn the native language or the na- or the language that you know your team speaks. Um, personally, I've done a very poor job of that early on uh, in my career, but I think I've found that there's a lot of value add when you put some effort into just learning. Hey, you know, like trying to reach across and not in the sake of everything always needs to be very like efficient and uh, we just need to get moving, but you're also just creating a better team environment when you are 
trying to learn the native language. And that's one thing now that I like, I would go back if, if I tell my younger self, you know, to, to do yeah. spend more, spend more time trying to learn the native language and speak and connect with them on that level. It makes a difference. They're just as grateful as we are when somebody makes an effort to be, to communicate in a way that we can understand. Well, that wraps up this episode of entrepreneurship in developing markets. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting app. If you did not enjoy it, just come back next week and we'll got another episode for you that you might enjoy. Um, but until yeah, next keep time. Keep your comments to yourself if you didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Don't be a hater. All right. <laughs> until next time.